Thank you, ladies. Beautiful job. Take your Bible, if you would, turn to Acts chapter number 20. You're thinking, well, Brother John, you said that you were going to finish the study of Hebrews. Well, I guess I lied. <laughs> if you want the message on Hebrews chapter 13, if you'll call Miss Vicki in the church office, she'll give you my new email address, and I'll send you the manuscript. I have to admit this is harder than I thought it would be. But my <clears throat> grandchildren put it in perspective. They said, Papa, does that mean you won't have a key to the gym anymore? <laughs> I told my wife, he said, I said, you know, I don't know what I'm gonna do with myself. And she said, I can help you with that. Well, the wisest man who ever lived, Solomon, wrote in the book of Ecclesiastes, to everything there is a season, a time for every purpose under heaven. That means that there is a time for hellos and a time for goodbyes. Few of us, however, like goodbyes. Perhaps it's the final hug you give your child before you send them off to kindergarten or college or to the military. In Acts chapter 20, beginning in verse 17, we find the Apostle Paul's great goodbye. I find in this story a reflection of my own story as pastor of this church. No, I don't think I'm an Apostle Paul, but we began this journey together June the 26th of 1983. And I suspect that none of us expected it to last this long. I learned something this week. It's a new idiom. That's a fancy word for what we in the South call a saying. My mom had lots of sayings. This new idiom that I found out this week was one last kick at the can. Actually, some people say one last kick at the cat, but some of you are cat lovers, so I didn't want to say that. Well, today is my last chance to preach as pastor of First Baptist Church. It's my last kick at the can. On such occasions, some pastors take the opportunity to share everything they wanted to say but couldn't because they were afraid they'd be fired. <laughs> Somebody said nothing changed after the pastor announced he was leaving except that his sermons got a lot bolder. But I have to say that we've been extraordinarily blessed. This church has always taken good care of us. But saying bye has some very obvious benefits. It allows us to reflect on where we have been together and it helps us to appreciate one another. But saying goodbye can also be difficult. It depends on who you're saying goodbye to and why. But in the text we're gonna look at this morning, the Apostle Paul models for us what it means to say a healthy goodbye. We're going to be looking at that text in just a few moments. But let me set the stage just a bit for you before we dive into the text. Paul's goal is to make it to Jerusalem before the feast of the Passover. His journey will take him close to the city of Ephesus, which he had pastored for three years. 
but he simply did not have time to go for a visit. So he stopped at a coastal town of Miletus in what is now Turkey, and he asked the elders of the church at Ephesus to make the 20-mile trip to meet with him. In verse 17, it says, From Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called for the elders of the church. Paul appreciated the elders of Ephesus and that they made the 20-mile journey. I cannot express to you this morning how I appreciate those of you who made a special effort to be with us today. It means a lot. If I didn't get a chance before the service to personally greet you, forgive me. And if I greeted you twice, remember that I'm old. <laughs> First, let's appreciate the time that we have had together in the past. I look at back over the 30 plus years of ministry here and my past has been a joy. Not every single minute or every single day. That would be unrealistic. But I have so much to look back on with real thankfulness and I hope that you too as well. Most of all, Debbie and I want to say thank you to the Lord for choosing us to be in this role for almost 40 years. When we came here, I was 31 years old, Debbie was 26, and we had a three-year-old daughter. We have seen each other through generations of the best of times and the worst of times. When Levi and Kelsey got married, I realized that I also married Kelsey's mom and dad. I thought that was pretty unusual. And when Clara was born, I declared that I would not be around to do the ceremony for her wedding. But Debbie then reminded me that our heritage went back much further than that, five generations in fact. I was Mr. and Mrs. Teague's pastor, then Olin and Helen Barnes pastor, then Joe and Trudy Barnes pastor, then Kelly and Martin, and then Levi and Kelsey, and now Clara. Boy, that makes me tired to just think about it. First of all, we see Paul saying he was committed to serving God's people. Paul was completely committed to his fellow believers. He was determined to seek their best at all times. His commitment to them was fueled by the conviction that in serving God's people, he was serving God. He says in verse 18, you know from the first day that I came to Asia in what manner I have always lived among you, serving the Lord with all humility and with many tears. It was not just what Paul said when he preached the gospel, but also the life he lived that proved the truth of the gospel. When he was with them, the Ephesian elders did not see any inconsistency in his message compared with his life. What we believe matters and what we do with what we believe matters because it's possible it is not possible to undo what we have said when it does not correspond with what we do. Paul fought hard not to do that. Your walk talks, your talk talks but your walk talks louder than your talk talks. They had watched Paul as he carried out his ministry among them, and as they watched him, he labored with them. They were not moved to say, man, Paul is a great man. Instead, they said, 
oh, what a great God Paul serves. I don't think that when Paul says that he served the Lord with many tears, that it means that he frequently broke down in outburst of emotion, but rather that he learned to identify with his listeners. Paul understands that compassion is costly and that ministry is not a job, it's a calling. It is not an obligation, but a privilege. He also wanted them to be committed to serving and sharing God's word. He said in verse 20, I kept back nothing that was helpful, but proclaimed it to you and taught you publicly and from house to house, testifying to Jesus and also the Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul tells them that he tried to be balanced in his preaching, neither compromising nor going to extremes. He taught deep theology, but he also addressed practical issues of living the Christian life. Paul says, I have declared faithfully to you how you can have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. On a personal level, if my ministry has meant anything, then continue to declare the gospel message in our community in word and in deed. Well, enough about the past. Let's look at the present as we move on. Secondly, let's accept the Holy Spirit's leading in the present. In verse 22, the phrase, and see, shifts the emphasis from the past to the present as Paul opened his heart and tells his friends what he feels. He says, and see, now I go bound in the spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that chains and tribulations await me. But none of these things move me, do I count my life dear to myself so that I may finish my race with joy and the ministry which I received from the Lord to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. One of my great desires in the last few years of my ministry here is the reminder to myself that I wanted to finish well. He says, first of all, being led by the Spirit. Paul didn't know what was ahead of him. He even had reason to believe that it wouldn't be good, but that didn't trouble him. He could give it all over to God even when he didn't know what would happen. I don't know what the future holds for Debbie and I, nor do I know what lies ahead for you as a congregation. And uncertainty can make us fearful. But I will remind you, as the old hymn says, I don't know what tomorrow holds, but I do know who holds tomorrow. They were led by the Spirit. He says, being content with not knowing what tomorrow may bring. In verse 25, Paul lets his hearers know what he believes and that this is the first, the last time that he will get to see them this side of heaven. He said, indeed, now I know that you all, among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God, will see my face no more. Therefore, I testify to you this day, I am innocent of the blood of all men, for I have not shunned to deliver to you the whole counsel of God. It's a final goodbye. Paul says that he believes that he may never see them again on this side of heaven. I can't promise you that, 
you will probably see me again. But this final farewell, Paul says that he has a clear conscience. He says that he is innocent of the blood of men because he has always done his best to give them the truth. Paul says, my hands are clean because I have told you the truth. No one could say that he hadn't failed to give them warning. He says that he is pretempted to them to proclaim to them the whole counsel of God. In my time here, I've been committed to the systematic verse by verse exposition of scripture. I've had to preach on some heavy and difficult topics over the years because I had come here committed to give a verse by verse explanation of God's word. Because of that, I preached on heaven and hell. I preached on divorce and remarriage, God and man, the first coming and the second coming, and even church discipline. I wouldn't have preached many of those things were it not for the discipline of being committed to an exposition of scripture. Here's the application. I will be held accountable for everything I've taught in this place. And you will be held accountable for everything you heard or ignored. It's clear elsewhere in the New Testament that Paul viewed ministry as a shared and living thing. But he wanted to fulfill and complete his part in it. I've tried to complete my part in the broad task of ministry here at First Baptist. But ministry, of course, is bigger than me. In a sense, we are all here for just a season. We must be faithful in our season to do what the Lord has called us to do, that the Lord is calling and equipping us to do more for him. And that at times, there is a time that simply the baton may be passed on to the next generation with a task to forward and develop it. And third, let's anticipate the prospects of the future. Beginning in verse 28, Paul is focusing on their future, God's plan for them. And as Paul looked in the future, he saw a dark cloud falling across his path. The Spirit of God had not promised him a life of health and wealth. However, the prospects of deep, deep and dark days did not immobilize Paul, for his purpose was not to preserve his life, but to fulfill God's purpose in his life. Paul did not know what lay ahead. However, he knew that whatever it was, he could face it, but he also knew that he didn't have to face it alone. Paul brought his farewell address to a close by warning the church leaders of the dangers they needed to recognize and deal with if they were to protect and lead the church. The specifics of which he begins to outline in verse 28, therefore take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit made you overseers to shepherd the church of God which he purposed with his own blood. First of all, he says, guard your heart. He tells them that before they can be of any help to others, that we must literally take heed or guard ourselves. They must begin by taking care of their own spiritual well-being. And then and only then could they give themselves to the well-being of the flock. Because if you are in a right relationship with God, 
His blessings will flow through you. Guard your hearts. Secondly, he says, provide for the flock. The elders are called to shepherd the flock of God. The Holy Spirit has sovereignly raised up overseers and under shepherds who are responsible for the general task of shepherding the flock. The sheep need to remember that God has appointed shepherds to feed them and lead them. And the shepherds need to remember that the flock belongs to God and not to them. And then he says, watch out for the enemy. It was not enough for the shepherds to feed and lead his ship. Sheep, he must also protect them from predators. Sometimes these predators will come from the outside. Verse 29 says, for I know this, after my departure, savage, savage wolves will come in, uh, among you, not sparing the flock. The, the wolves that Paul is referring to are false teachers. Those who exploit the sheep for their own personal gain. False teaching comes when either, one either speaks things that are not true or twists things and verses out of context. And taking something that is true and stretching it to an unbiblical extreme. The apostle Peter also spoke of false teachers when he said in, in his letter, but there were also false prophets among the people, even as there were false teachers among you who will secretly bring in their destructive heresies, even denying the Lord who brought them, bring, on them, bring in on themselves swift destruction. Sometimes, according to verse 30, the predators are not from the outside, but from the inside. Also from among yourselves, he writes, men will rise up speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves. These are those within the church who are ambitious for prestige and power. Don't kid yourselves that these kind of people don't still exist. And then he says, be committed to the Lord's word of grace. Verse 32 says, now brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Paul says that he commends them to God and the word of his grace. The word commend means to entrust. I'm so glad that I can entrust this church to God and his word. The same God who has been with us all over all these past 30 some odd years is still on the throne. And it is my belief that you will continue to proclaim the gospel from this pulpit and that God will continue to do a work in building you up. The work will go on. God and his word guarantees that. If you will extend to the next pastor the same love and patience that you have with me, he will be a blessed man indeed. Verse 33, Paul wants everyone to understand his motive in ministry. He says, I have coveted no man's silver or gold or apparel. Yes, you yourselves know that these hands have provided for my necessities. For those who were with me, he has shown you, you in every way by laboring like this, that you must support the weak and remember the words of the Lord that he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. 
Paul appeals to the, the example of his own life and how he showed his own commitment. And according to verse 33, he coveted no man's silver or gold. In fact, according to, to verse 34, Paul not only did not covet anything that was not his, he did not even avail himself of the right to be supported by his ministry. But rather he worked hard with his own hands to provide for the needs that up him, himself and his team. Debbie and I have always tried to look to the Lord to meet our needs. But you guys have not made it hard because you've always provided us amazingly well in every way. In verse 36, Paul begins his final farewell. He closed this memorable occasion in verse 36 by saying, and when he said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And then they all wept freely and fell on Paul's neck and kissed him. Sorrowing must most for all the words that he spoke that they would see his face no more. And they accompanied him to the ship. The grief displayed over Paul's departure gives us an indication of how deeply he was loved. The word sorrowing is a very graphic word. It means to, ex to experience deep pain. It is the word used when Mary and Joseph could not find Jesus on their trip home from Jerusalem when he was 12. Let me conclude this morning. Matthew Chandler said, if your Christian life is boring, then you're not doing it right. We've never been bored. You guys have sent us all over the world visiting missionaries and in between lost luggage and canceled flights, we always kept finding our way back. Our trips have become legendary. Most of you have added a new phrase to your vocabulary, Hamby trip. If everything goes disastrous, you call it a Hamby trip because we're known for our trips. And whether you know it or not, this small church in rural Arkansas has a, a missions outreach around the world. Our first personal missionary trip was to Mexico with Voin and Verna Weaver. You have not lived until you've heard Brother Voin trying to speak Spanish with a southern accent. <laughs> I know hable espanol. <laughs> we went in January and we did not take any coats because we were told it doesn't get cold in Mexico. Well, I can tell you that it does. We sat in a church with little or no heat, and after freezing for about an hour and not understanding one word that was said, the service ended, or so we thought. To our horror, we found, it, found out that that was just a Sunday school report, and the church hadn't even started the service yet. I admit it, I just wanted to cry. We have had some extraordinarily rewarding trips. We took 60 people from our church to visit Brian and Michelle Garrison in Lima, Peru. And we got home with all of them. Well, at least I think we did. We helped feed children in a manna feeding center in, uh, in Guatemala. The earthquake we experienced while we were there also was a good adventure. We enjoyed an amazing meal in an African pastor's home, beans cooked on a fire out in the 
churchyard with Mount Kilimanjaro looming in the distance. We met with a church we called First Baptist Church of Goat Hill. There were about 15 or so people gathered in a building that didn't have a roof over all of it. In fact, I've seen chicken scoops that were better than that church. I got up to speak and realized they did not have a podium. There was no place to bake your Bible, and you certainly weren't going to use any notes. They got a very short message on the three Hebrew young men who stood before the king and said, we will not bend. I saw those 15 people. I thought, well, not a lot to expect here. Six of them got saved. On our trip to the Philippines, we had a stopover in China. I lost my passport. And most of you are thinking, well, of course you did. (laughs) But I didn't realize I did until a very stern-faced Chinese soldier stomped across the tarmac, boarded our shuttle bus, and called my name. I died a little bit. I thought, oh my, what did I do now? He just handed me my passport and left. But the best adventures of all have been doing life with you, working and playing and laughing and crying together, just trying our best to serve the Lord, knowing that we were not sufficient for the job but we also watch God come through time after time. We have watched God grow so many of you into amazing godly men and women, becoming husbands and wives with children and grandchildren of your own. But I want you to know this. This church and the people who make it up will forever be in our hearts. And you remain in our prayers, particularly during this year of transition. There's a wonderful song called For Good from a Broadway musical, but it captures my thoughts. It well may be that we will never meet again in this lifetime. So let me say before we part, so much of me is made from what I learned from you. You will be with me like a handprint on my heart. And now whatever our stories end, I know you have rewritten mine by being my friend. Let's pray. Father, I cannot adequately thank you or these people for the wonderful experience of being their pastor. No, all the times haven't been good. Some have been very difficult. But we've seen you work time after time. I pray for this church this morning. I pray for unity as they move forward. I pray now for the man that you're calling to be their pastor. I pray that you give them wisdom and discernment about who that man may be. I pray that you would bless this time of interim in which they take a look at who who they are and what they are and what they really want in a new pastor. May that transition time be beneficial. May it help the new pastor to be the man who can come and stay for a long time. 
Father, I, I just want to thank you for being in our lives, for knowing that we can trust you even when we don't know what lies ahead. You give us what we need to know day by day. And so, Lord, we, pr we entrust this, God, this church and these people to you, God. Father, there may be in, in our presence today someone who doesn't know you in a, pres in a personal, intimate way. I pray that they might know today that they are a sinner, just all, like all the rest of us, and that because of that sin, they cannot save themselves. They will never earn their way into heaven. But help them to know that if they repent of their sins, that is, agree with God about their sin, and that that sin separates them from you, holy God. I pray that they might repent of their sins and that they would ask to be saved. We realize that salvation is a free gift, but it's a gift that has to be received in order for it to be real. So I pray for that one person who may be here this morning that doesn't have that assurance. Would you continue to work in their hearts and in their lives? Thank you for the fact that many of us in this place know we're saved. We know that not because we're good, not because we're perfect, but because we feel you in our lives and we feel your guidance as you direct us. Father, we just want to thank you for that experience. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.